Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. On behalf of this flight, Grand Southwest Airlines, we'd like to be the first to welcome you to Oakland. When you fly into San Francisco, Oakland, or San Jose, you might just spot them out the window. Huge, colorful ponds hugging the shoreline of the bay. Some are brown and green. Others are bright pink and red. It's like an insane patchwork quilt. Seriously, it looks like a paint factory exploded next to Silicon Valley. I'm Olivia Allen Price, and with me is Lauren Summer, reporter with KQED Science. Hey, Olivia. Hey. So this week on Bay Curious, where we answer a new question about the Bay Area each week, we'll discover what those weird ponds are. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. I met up with our question asker, Ann Vercooter of Green Bray. And she knew one thing. In the Bay Area, they're known as the salt ponds. She's wondered about them for maybe 50 years. I grew up in the Bay Area, near where the salt ponds are in the South Bay. And periodically, when you'd drive by on the old Bayshore Freeway, you'd see these big piles of salt. So my question is, is what's the process of how they go from dirty bay water into salt that comes out white from my salt shaker? Well, Anne, it's not just salt inside that salt shaker. It actually holds a piece of the Bay Area's history, going back to the gold rush and the legacy of environmental change. But first, let's start with those giant salt piles. How tall is this? The salt stack is uh, 80 feet tall and uh, about 800 feet wide. I'm standing next to an enormous pile of salt with Maria Alizo Martel. She works for Cargill, the company that's made it. It holds 500,000 tons, and it looks like you can ski down it. How many bowls of popcorn could this season? I yeah, mean, there's, there's a math there. Pat Mapelli also works for Cargill. That's a, that's a very, very large number. I did the math, and it would season 143 billion bowls of popcorn, depending on how salty you like it. These piles are in the East Bay in Newark. But this is the end result. It begins in San Francisco Bay. Salty water from the bay is captured in ponds, where it starts to evaporate because of heat from the sun. And at first, the ponds look like the bay, a green or brownish color. 
As the water concentrates down, Aliza Martel says they move it to another pond and... Colors start changing, more yellowish. The water is moved again until finally in the last stage it turns... Pink. We like pink. (laughs) Which is the color of the pond we're walking in. The water is shallow and under it is a layer of thick, crusty salt. It looks like a giant, salty, raspberry snow cone. The color pink comes from uh, halobacteria and uh, microscopic algae. As the water gets saltier, some microbes just can't hack it, and they die off. But others go crazy. They're specially adapted to the salty conditions, and they change the color of the water. And when they get stressed, as the salinity increases, they kind of produce that red color. The saltier the water, the redder the microbes get. And that color is really important, actually, for making the water evaporate. It absorbs the rays of the sun and helps with that process of making salt. Clear water just doesn't absorb as much light. And when the brine gets super salty, finally crystals form. Aliza Martel picks up a handful. The tiny cubes stack on top of each other, like bricks in a pyramid. I see it and it's just beautiful. You can try a little piece of salt and it will not kill you. It won't kill me? Nope. It tastes the way I'd expect it to taste. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Mm, It's ready for crop. And it really is a crop. It's harvest time right now. A huge truck is scraping up about five inches of salt off the ground right near us. And it's so weather dependent. So you had a bad year, you get not much salt. A lot of rain slows down the process. In all, it's taken three years to grow this and a thousand gallons of bay water for just one pound of salt. From here, it goes to a refinery where it's cleaned and sized and then sold as sea salt, either Morton's brand or Diamond Crystal. But only 3% of this salt ends up on our table. Salt, the pure white crystals of sodium chloride. Modern industry, our modern way of life, could not exist without it. The rest feeds American industry. Salt is used in textile bleaches and dye stubs, in medicines, in cosmetics. It's used by livestock, on roads for water softening. Incredible, yes. And believe it or not, the Bay Area may not be what it is today without this salt. Salt making in the Bay dates back to Native American groups like the Ohlone. But demand really picked up in the 1850s, says Cargill's Pat Mapelli. As the people migrated from the east to the west, uh, mostly around the discovery of gold, there was a need for salt. Everybody traveled with salt. There was no refrigeration, so salt was how people preserved food. It was almost worth its weight in gold. Salt making is what made life here possible. It boomed through the 1970s when Cargill bought the operation. 44,000 acres of the bay were in production then, but today it's just 8,000. That's because the market changed, and so did our view of what San Francisco Bay should be. The salt ponds used to be marshes, which around the time of the gold rush were seen as wasteland. There was an encouragement by both the state and the federal government to put what they considered wasteland, or these, these swamp and overflow lands, into some sort of economic use. 
But today, the bay has lost more than 80 percent of its marshes. So in 2003, the federal and state government bought thousands of acres of ponds from Cargill. The ponds are slowly being reconnected to the bay. It's the biggest ecosystem restoration project on the West Coast. This is really cool stuff. <laughs> For our question asker, Ann Vercooter, the ponds are one of the only things that hasn't changed from her childhood in the South Bay. When she was a kid in Mountain View... There were lots of orchards around. We used some of our summer jobs. We're going to work um, picking Italian prune plums with the migrant workers. Shoreline Amphitheater was the city dump. <laughs> so that was always a fun Saturday to go with our dad and pick through the dump and look for stuff. Now it's some of the most expensive real estate in the country, home to gleaming tech campuses. So there's no way someone would start a big industrial salt-making operation there today for financial and environmental reasons. But Cargill has held on to those long-running rights to make salt, which really is the only way salt has stuck around in a crowded place like the Bay Area. So there's the history inside your salt shaker. Though really knowing if it's San Francisco Bay you're pouring on your food, I'm pretty sure Cargill's Pat Mapelli is the only one who knows that. When I go into restaurants, I typically dump it in my hand and take a look at it and go, yeah, that came from us. You can tell? <laughs> yeah, usually by crystal size and crystal shape. Yeah, most of us probably won't get there. Reporter Lauren Summer, thank you so much. Thanks, Olivia, and thanks to Ann Vercooter for that very salty question. New episodes of the Bay Curious podcast are available one day early on the TuneIn app this month. You can download and listen on TuneIn for free. I'll share a link to our TuneIn page on my Twitter account. Find me at O. Allen Price. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco by Jessica Placek, Paul Lencor, Ryan Levy, Susie Racho, Erica Kelly, Julia McAvoy, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Thanks to Craig Miller for his help on this episode. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Have a great week, everybody. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, 
visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support.